0: Everybody, hey! If this is your first time, um, uh, and maybe you're here because uh, you're you're here because someone's getting baptized, and you are specifically—that's that's that's why I'm here. This feels like a cult, and I'm not sure if I should. Uh, Just stay with me for a minute. Um, And maybe you you had none none of that idea, and you just wanted to. God just led you here to be here, or or maybe you're regular here. I need to I need to preface the sermon. So here's your disclaimer. Um, this sermon, uh, today in this moment, is designed to be, in, in my mind, a pep rally. Now, here's why. Now, I grew up and we went to pep rallies and, and they were amazing because they preceded the game, the game that was going to play out. And so we needed to get hyped up and ready for it. We needed to make sure that we were all at the game. It's a big deal. Here's the game at hand. We as a church are going to gather this week in a way that we have not gathered in a long long time for 24 straight hours uh, that's by the way how many hours are in the day 24 when not most of us are sleeping for a portion of that work or school or whatever 24 hours we as a church are assembling across all locations east downtown west at the same time that people will be praying uh, we will have people reading scripture reading the new testament out loud As a church saying, there's a lot going on, but we're going to go meet with God for a solid 24 hours. People are signing up for 30-minute increments to either read Scripture or pray. And so that moment, if you want to know, I know Easter's a big deal. We dress up and we come to Easter. That's awesome. Christmas is awesome. All those big church moments are awesome. But I'm going to tell you, in my opinion, and it is my opinion, that one of the greatest things a church could ever do would be to interrupt our normal schedules and for 24 solid hours say we want to be in the presence of God. So, with a much longer disclaimer than I intended to give you, uh, that's the setup for what I want to open up for, okay? So if you're not signed up, that was your hint. Years and years and years ago, this is detailed in the Bible, a king, the king by the name of Nebuchadnezzar, you can have fun with that name later, King Nebuchadnezzar invades Jerusalem. Jerusalem where, in essence, God's people lived. If you, never, you don't know your history or even know now, that's like it's a special place. And so King Nebuchadnezzar, Babylon, invades Jerusalem, and they win. Uh, God's people lose King Nebuchadnezzar comes in, and, and if you know your history, you also know that when kings invaded and won, they left with the spoils of war, the spoils of, of victory. They, they, they went in and pillaged and all that kind of stuff, but they left with stuff, sometimes you know, money, gold, silver, all that kind of stuff, sometimes horses and things like that. But uh, this king in particular left with people, took the, the way this is detailed, went and found the best looking and the smartest people, and he took them captive. What we know in, in the midst of those captives are multiple people that we know about. One of them is Daniel. His name's Daniel, and he's what we would have believed because they didn't trust any of them. They've just been taken captive. They're being pulled out of their homeland, so they're being taken away, so you've got to bind them up and treat them like prisoners. That's normal. It's standard, but that's not how it always plays out. They, they would take them and And Daniel got picked by the king or his leaders that he, even though he was a POW, that he would be brought into and trained to lead in the palace. Now, if you ever get taken prisoner, at least in my mind, like I wouldn't mind ending up in the palace. If if all the places, I would like to go to the palace. However, in that context, in that culture, no, 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 you didn't want to end up in the palace. Especially if you were a guy Historically, we know this, that if you were brought from a foreign nation into the palace to eventually do uh, palace work, is the king was uh, cautious not to let you interact with his ladies? And so uh, there are children, I'm just going to say, you can read your history, the king would make sure that those men were unable and would strip them of all dignity. Not only that, Daniel in particular, what we know is, um, not only had his probably his dignity taken away from him, uh, they changed his name, literally, literally uh, gave him a new name, and and the, the interesting part is the new name was meant to honor a a fake god, a false god, which directly went against all that Daniel knew to be true and good. So you've got now emotional, physical, and spiritual like pouring onto Daniel. And the reason I wanted to show you this picture is is this, because you may say, Daniel, that sounds intense, is I think some of us right now, even though you don't have Daniel's details, we're living like this, at least spiritually, where we've allowed ourselves to be held captive, and we're not engaging God, living for God, spending time with God, and you got multiple reasons. There's a long list of reasons, but I wanted you to see the picture as a visual. I'll I'll return to the thought later, but I wonder how many of us might be like this right now. And so we're gonna use the story of Daniel to help us get ready for a moment as a church where we're gonna seek refuge with God. But you gotta know the story, so I'm gonna take you in to a big moment. Daniel chapter 6, Daniel soon proved himself more capable than all the other administrators and high officers. Because of Daniel's great ability, the, the king made plans to place him over the entire empire. Then the other administrators and high officers began searching for some fault. Some of you work in these kinds of environments. You're like, oh, that's how it works. For some fault in the way that Daniel was handling government affairs, but they couldn't find anything to criticize or condemn. He was faithful, always responsible, and completely trustworthy. So they concluded our only chance of finding grounds for accusing Daniel will be in connection with the rules of his religion. Interesting. Now, I know many of us are like, rules of religion, I hate that. Well, here's what they mean. So the administrators and high officers went to the king and said, Long live King Darius, kiss ups. We're all in agreement. (laughs) Right? We administrators, office, officials, high officers, advisors, and governors, that the king should, be, should make a law that will be strictly enforced. Here's what they wanted to put, put in law. Give orders that for the next 30 days, any person who prays, fascinating the detail they decided to go after, who prays. Some of us immediately thinking, that's an interesting idea that they came up with their on, on their own. I don't think they came up with it on their own. I'll explain later. Give orders that for the next 30 days, any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except to you, your majesty, will be thrown into the den of lions. And now your majesty issue and sign this law, so it cannot be changed in official law of the Medes and Persians that cannot be revoked. So King Darius signed the law. So they're going to take Daniel down. Think about how someone might go about taking you down. Just think about it for a minute. If someone wanted to actually sabotage you, to get to get you in this case put into prison, most of us go negative. They couldn't even find that with Daniel. They're like, "Well, the dude prays. Maybe we can we can get the prayer thing illegal." What you should be noting is this: uh, is why prayer was so significant. This is why I tell you, I don't think they came up with the idea. I think, listen, I think they were tempted by the devil to do this. And that will give you color to this statement. There's an intentional plot to keep you from having conversations with God. What do you have in relation to Daniel? How are you and Daniel the same? Is that just like he did, you as well have an evil, an evil being you known as Satan, the devil, and all his demons, are plotting against you, and you're like, whoa, that seems extreme. And you're like, what are they doing? One of the things that they're doing is trying to keep you from talking with God. Look at all the things that evil could do in this world and does, that are horrific. And oftentimes we miss this powerful moment that one of the agendas, I think one of the main agendas of evil is to get you and I to not be present with God. That if you and I find a way, a moment, even this silent, if you're in your car just having a a 20-second talk with God, the devil doesn't want it to happen. That should like elevate what you and I think about being in the presence of God, talking to God. You know this personally, and I found this, uh, this storyline that I thought was uh, really powerful because it'll reveal to you that just when you have a conversation with another person, when you are with another person that you just really, really enjoy, and then you leave that person and you reflect on, like, how awesome it was to be with that person, how, like, it just it grew your relationship, the power of presence. Well, uh, there's an artist who decided to test the power of being present and I want you to take a look, take a watch.
1: For Artists Present, I decided to be there in one entire duration of the time of the opening of the museum, which means three months sitting there. I knew this is a big chance to show the power of performance art. I prepared for this piece almost a year because I knew it's going to be physically so demanding, so difficult. The curator was just telling me, you have to be ready that in the front of you will be empty chair most of the time because nobody could imagine in New York, the most busy place in the world, that would anybody take time to sit and just engage in mutual gaze with me. So it was a complete surprise for myself, to the entire staff of MoMA, and to everybody else. This enormous need of the humans to actually have a contact how we are so alienated from each other, how the society make us really distant. You know, we are texting each other messages without seeing each other, and we just live around the corner from each other. So many stories of loneliness. And uh, the people not that just occupy the chair, there was no one second when this chair was empty. They start sleeping outside of the museum, and they start waiting for hours and hours, and coming back. And what is happening there? I'm looking at you, you're photographed, you're filmed, you're observed by everybody else in this atrium. So, there is nowhere to go but into yourself. At the moment, when you really get into yourself, that moment burst with emotions, with so much feelings, and this is why so many people start crying, They become such important experience in their life. We are not doing this in our own home, because we are doing everything to actually cut that relation to ourselves. But here, I made a stage for the audience.
0: You can go do your own research, but it's profound. If you don't know the details, you could watch the details. That individual after individual would sit down, and at first you're like, this is kind of awkward, right? but then all of a sudden would find emotions begin to get stirred. What we know humanly is that you and I crave being in each other's presence. That, That Actually, there's something significant just being with another person and around another person and having conversations. So let me tell you something spiritually. The same thing, if not more profoundly, exists between you and God. That if you avoid and neglect being in the presence of God, You will find yourself wanting, you will find yourself uh, lacking in something that you may not even recognize until you return to the presence of God. That's why for many of us, a return to church, getting to church, isn't that that building specifically did something majestical, It's, it's that you decided to acknowledge the presence of God and actually even if you didn't even sing or pray with others or even listen to the whole sermon, you just took this moment to acknowledge that being with God is significant. And you and I have got to recognize that we aren't near as good at being present with God as He is being present with us. Now, let's go a little deeper. Why is being with God a big deal? Ephesians 6.10 begins to unveil this for us. A final word, and this was spoken to the church, written to the church, a final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. The writer is trying to tell you and I and that original church going, hey, here's the deal. God has power and strength and you need it. I don't need to ask you any detailed questions about your life right now, but I know something about you. You need the strength and power of God. I do too. Whatever it is that you're walking through, good or bad, if you're planning something that's amazing or you're planning something that's not, you need the strength and power of God. You need that every single day. Now, why? Especially if you're on the fence right now going, I don't know if I even need God, because I mean, it just sounds like religion to me. Well, we get spelled out a little bit more as we keep reading why we need God. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. Now this is written long after Daniel, but I think it's connected to what Daniel's learning and showing us. But there's strategies and strategies from the devil. For we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. If you're married, you might just want to jot that down right now. Uh, For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Scripture's saying you need strength from God, you need power from God, and the reason is is there is evil out to get you. So you need God's help. Now the next part I learned when I was a kid growing up because uh, we had to memorize this next part because the next part begins to say, all right, you're going to war against, against the devil. Here's what you need to know. Uh, So, therefore, put on every piece of God's armor. And and, and when I was in church as a kid, I was like, we get armor? I can't wait. (laughs) And then I learned it was spiritual, which was fine, and now it's good, right? But every piece of armor, so that you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then, after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Stand your ground. How? Putting on the belt of truth. Meaning, if you don't know truth, you'll lose your ground. The body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the piece that comes from the good news so that you'll be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on the salvation. Put on salvation as your helmet. And take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. As a kid, I I just heard about the sword. Like we get a sword, and and then they said it's the Bible. I was like, so we hit people with the Bible? (laughs) And I think someone took that literally. And no, 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 Uh, it's a good lesson here. If you're struggling about winning against the devil, if right now you've got temptation in your life and you're losing that battle, pick up a sword. The Bible. Now what's been said before me? I didn't make this up. I just love it. Uh, put on salvation as your helmet. Many of us right now have. In fact, I would say the majority of us that's perhaps the, the first piece of armor that we put on was the helmet of salvation. The problem is is that's all we put on, which makes you a Christian streaker. <laughs> Don't be a streaker. But see, this stuff helps us, that that some of us, like, cool, got got the helmet, I'm saved, I'm going to heaven. But this passage is telling us, like, yeah, but you're at war at the same time. Don't just take on salvation, there's more. But as a kid, that's where I stopped reading. Once I got into the cool armor, I was like, that sounds neat, that's all I want. But that's not all it's spoken about. If you keep reading, you actually get to something I say very profound. So after the army, armor, you need strength and power of God. All right, here's the armor. But then it goes back to the strength and power of God. Pray. This is the one that we're all so busy with the armor. We make posts on social media about the armor. But it doesn't stop. Pray. Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. And pray for me too. Ask God to give me the right words so I can boldly explain God's mysterious plan that the good news is for all people. That's the way that's describing that. I'm in chains now, still preaching, in chains, still preaching this message as God's ambassador, so pray that I will keep on speaking boldly for him. As I should. Many of us, the armor stuff sounds cool. Yeah, we need a Bible preacher in church, which you do. We need to talk about the good news, which we should. We need to live righteous lives. Yes, we should. We should live in unity and with peace and comfort from the Holy Spirit. Uh-huh. But here's the lesson here. Do not try to be strong without being connected to God. Don't go to war with just the armor. Are you catching that? That's what that just said. Get the armor. You better have the armor. If you skip the armor, you skipped an elementary lesson in in following the way of Jesus. The next level lesson is put the armor on and go to God. And if you're anything like me, I often try to be strong without having a conversation with God. I'll have a problem. You ever have problems? Okay. I think some of you have problems. I I have problems. Where you have something come up with the day and you're like, all right. And immediately your brain begins to find solutions to fix that and what to do. My daughter recently said, hey, I'm gonna go with some friends to the mall. I'm like, first answer, no, but okay, yes, yes. And then, so let me teach you just real quick some, some like martial arts that I don't know, but let's look at YouTube and, and, and you know what I'm saying? But do you do, you do stuff like this where, where you, you, all of a sudden you're in a scenario and, and you feel like your, your role in this is to fix it, is to like, okay, okay. Okay, here's what we do and how we do it. And if you don't have an answer to that, whoo, stirs up some worry. And I am like you, you are like me that we often do life like this and we don't connect to God unless we're absolutely so desperate and it's so dark that we're like, well, I can't fix this. So maybe I involve God where the lesson is go to him first. So Daniel, if you let him, would like to teach you some things. So let's learn from Daniel about prayer about uh, you know gets challenged I mean obviously he's in the palace he knows about this new law that he's not allowed to even pray anymore but when Daniel learned that the law had been signed (coughs) he went home and knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with its windows open toward Jerusalem he prayed three times a day as he had always done giving thanks to his God uh, I, I would love for you to read it. What happens next, again, was another favorite story of mine as a kid, uh, not because it's good, because it's bad, and so uh, in the sense that he, he, he gets outed, they, they, it was all set up, they knew exactly what he would do, and so they tell on him, and, uh, and he's in, imprisoned in a sense, no, they go grab him, and the punishment that I read to you happens, uh, he's put into a den of lions, if you don't know how this works historically, what that meant was there was usually actually much like a tomb—a giant door or stone rolled into the front, and you were dropped in. They didn't like open the doors, and the lions were like, "Oh, we'll back up." No, no, let's like drop you down, and all you heard was screaming for a little bit, and then you heard this—the sound of, of death. I love this particular artist depiction. Um, they didn't—they didn't take a picture. Sorry, uh, they. Because different artists take different um, liberties with this. And sometimes when we think of the story of Daniel in the lion's den, we, we kind of child-proof it a little bit. And we make them very tame lions. No, this was a miracle of God. He's dropped down. Everyone knows he's going to die. But if you read the story, he doesn't die. He survives. The problem is, you and I take the story going, yeah. I've been praying, and God didn't save me. So what do I have to learn from from Daniel in the lion's den? Is God always going to save me from the lion's den? That's not the lesson here. Remember, we're preparing for a moment as a church where I believe God's going to meet with us. So what do we need to know about the story of Daniel? He's got a couple things to teach us. One, Daniel wasn't overconfident. I was alluding to this. Let me read this. But when Daniel learned that the, the law had been signed, he went home and knelt down. You know what I'm tempted to do? Fix it? first. and if I can't, I should go talk to God about it. But notice, I mean, if I was Daniel and I was about to get the empire handed to me, you know what step one would have been, in my humanness, where's the king? Where's the king? Where's the king? I need to talk with the king. Can we intercept this before it gets to the registrar's office? Whatever, like, like can, we, can, we, can we stop this? And I would begin to think of who do I know and who can I affect and who can I talk to? That's, that's what I would have been thinking. But Daniel's like, oh, I'm going to die if I pray. I guess I should go talk to the guy that I pray to then. An act of, I might be able to fix this. I might be able to leverage my relationship with King Nebuchadnezzar, who seems to really like me. I could probably go do that and have a sense of confidence. I know this. I know what to do. I know what to say. But Daniel, even, even being a favorite, notice what he does. He's like, well, all right. So apparently I'm going to die. Let me go talk to God. It helps you and I know that oftentimes you and I are overconfident with life. And oftentimes we don't see miracles of God. You know why? Because we don't talk to Him about it first. We try to be our own miracle workers. There's a, a military story of overconfidence. Um, details are this: 1923, a training exercise involving the USS Delphi. Uh, my grandpa served in the Navy till uh, my great-grandma made him get out. Uh, anyways. Uh, He served in the Navy, so these stories really affect me. Um, The the story is uh, Lieutenant Commander Donald Hunter was leading this training exercise. They're not at war, that's an important detail. Not at war, training exercise, seven ships going along the coast of California. During the training exercise, fog set in over the ships. Now again, 1923, before you begin to ascribe 2023 technology. Fog sets in. Wisdom and training says, stop all the ships. Let the fog dissipate, then return to the training exercise. Problem is Lieutenant Commander Hunter knew that coastline so well, felt like he knew it like the back of his own hand. He didn't see an issue with the fog. So instead of taking what would be good wisdom, he decides to conclude, I know the way, I know where we're at, let's keep going. And so what happened is what you would expect because I'm telling you this story, the USS Delphi would crash into the coastline, destroying the ship, but not only that, the rest of the ships followed suit. All of the ships being damaged, Twenty-two people losing their lives. Considered one of the worst peacetime naval disasters in history. Didn't have to happen if confidence had been placed correctly. What has overconfidence been doing to you? And for many of us, throwing us in pit after pit after pit. Giving in to temptation after temptation after temptation. Living week after week going, I've never seen God. God doesn't seem to be present with me. It's because many of us are stinking so overconfident that we got this put together. Um, here, if you don't need to pray, there's your sign, Right? It's your sign that you are living in overconfidence. I I guess, hey, David, can I pray about this? Can I pray about myself? Is it selfish to pray about myself? Uh, No, Jesus literally taught for you and I to pray for our daily needs. So that should give you a little bit of evidence that God's like, no, would you please talk to me about what's really going on in your life? Because if you don't, I'd say you're overconfident and you don't want to be there. Daniel's got another thing to teach us. He prayed Three times a day, just as he had always done, giving thanks to his God. Now, some of you, you're putting some pieces together you need to be careful about. Well, it's like, yeah, I prayed three times a day. He didn't have kids. He wasn't married. Some of us are like, and, and you begin to think, how does an individual pray three times a day? They must have all the time in the world. I thought some of us might be thinking about that. So here's the second thing Daniel wants to teach us. Daniel wasn't too busy. He wasn't wasn't overconfident. He wasn't too busy. The king also chose Daniel and two others as administrators. If the king who has taken you captive has put you in charge of anything, do you know what happens if you drop the ball? That's the last thing you remember. Daniel and the two others as administrators to supervise the high officers and protect the king's interests. Daniel soon proved himself, if you want to know how hard he was working, Daniel soon proved himself more capable than all the other administrators and high officers. You don't accomplish that if you're playing solitaire all day. (laughs) If you're at home going, I have nothing to do today. I am bored out of my mind You don't have that occur. Because of Daniel's great ability, the king made plans to place him over the entire empire. The king has no intentions of putting someone that he is taking captive over the entire empire unless Daniel has a lot to do and he's proven worthy. Yet many of us have allowed our calendars, our seasons of life, remember that first picture? To do this to us. And we have decided that we don't have time to talk to God about the real stuff more than, hey, thanks for the food. And please, Lord, please, Lord, help the kids sleep tonight. Extra, please. Most of us are not talking to God about the real stuff in our lives because we are bound by what is called the calendar. It could be your kid's calendar, it could be your calendar, someone else's calendar. Remember, this is a pep rally. Daniel said, I'm not overconfident, I need God, and I'm not too busy to talk to God. That all leads to the moment that stands before us. 24 hours of prayer, 24 hours of reading the Bible out loud, 24 hours of a church going, God, what say you? And guess what? And this has been frustrating to some of you. It's not even on a weekend. Some of you are having to take time off work, change your lunch time off. Some of us are having to really manipulate and change our calendars to get to 30 minutes. But I'm telling you, could we learn from Daniel in this moment? Could you and I look at a moment and say, that's not just the activity the church is doing. Uh, That's not just something that I should sign up for or not sign up for. I want to meet with God because I need his power and his strength. So I'm going to go sit with him. Can you imagine, can you imagine what God might do with a group of people who no longer serves the God called calendar? Who no longer rests in our insecurity and I don't know what to say to them and we just show up and say, I don't know what to say, I don't know what to do, but I am here. So I shared with you that we need 288 people bare minimum. We need more, but bare minimum covers all the slots. (laughs) And I am have been moved by you. Of the 288, there's like, I don't know, 30-some left. But again, that's bare minimum, right? You follow me? Just, just the cover that every hour is taken care of, every half hour is taken care of. So three locations, assembling a church, saying, well, this is worth it. So I've said this is a test. I'm going to say it one last time. This is a test. The answer to the test is... Your name. I encourage you, find the time. Sign up. Show up. And let's be the kind of church that says, conversations with God are worth it. Now, here in a moment, we're going to baptize people. What a great end to the pep rally Now here's the story thing though Some of you did not come prepared to be baptized yet. I brought up baptism and you think i'm staring at you, which i'm not <laughs> So here I just so you know our rules as a church If you're supposed to be baptized and you follow jesus, you're like I want to follow jesus And you are not a kid anymore If you're a kid, we want to talk to you because we want to make sure that mom and dad or whoever is not making you do this Uh, if you're if you're a teenager or older and you're supposed to get baptized today and you didn't sign up i hope you'll have this moment forever in your life it was the day that you stood up you went back there and you're like i'm getting baptized today we're going to go into a week proving that we believe god is everything let me pray for us heavenly father don't lightly talk to you. And I think the conversations you've been having us have, I think merit an acknowledgement, God, that we know and feel honored and privileged that we get to talk directly to you. God, I pray for those right now who are raised differently or or never heard that they could talk to their creator directly, that, that you would hear us, not just like we would talk and feel good, that, that you would hear us, that you that our prayers would even move you and stir you and affect you. So God, thank you for letting us get to have conversations with you. I know it means a lot to you. Your word tells us the power behind it, the significance behind it. So God, thank you for letting us talk to you. Lord, you have asked us to gather at a special time in special places to meet with you. So God, we, we will. We're even signed up, God. We're going to come and meet with you. I, I have no idea what you intend, but, but God, we choose to be obedient to you. Would, you. would you speak to us? Would you please meet with us all week long? We worship you. We want to be around you. So God, we start this week off celebrating the life change you have done in individuals' lives, every person being baptized, God. You save them. You change them. You lead them. So God, we acknowledge it, that you are God, you are all-powerful, and you love perfectly. Thanks for meeting with us. We pray this in the name of Jesus.
1: Amen.